Well, the, the reading this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Father, these are familiar words to us. And yet, as Mark has reminded us, it's, uh, we can't do these things in our own strength. We cannot love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we cannot love our neighbors in the way that you ask us to without the help of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I just pray for Martin now as he comes to speak to us. May your Holy Spirit anoint him, anoint his words. Um, may he be a blessing to us, but may you be a blessing to him as he is obedient to you in bringing your word. And give us hearts and ears and, and minds and wills that are open to what you are telling us to do. Amen. morning everybody good to see you it's great to have Noel and Pauline back with us bless you good to see you so looking uh, God most loving um, that's what we're looking at today um, this is this is a really difficult um, attribute of God um, because of the limitations of the English language um, we tend to use love indiscriminately and generally um, so I I would say, I love my wife, I love my children, um, I love curry, um, which I do. Um, we don't have a better way in our language often to capture the nuances um, of what, what we say we love. Um, and actually our culture loves uh, romantic love uh, more than any other type of love. So I don't know if you've seen this film, um, but um, you know, you, you'd think it might be about a sinking boat, um, but it's really about Jack and Rose, isn't it? The love affair between Jack and Rose. This is the highest grossing romantic uh, film of all time, currently sitting at 1.8 billion uh, uh, sales globally and growing and counting. Um, it was just re-released recently, wasn't it, for its 25th year anniversary. And apparently this film is huge in Afghanistan, just in case you were wondering. It's a big, um, a big movie there. And uh, the massive success of this movie testifies to our culture's worship of, of romance. And it's begun to reshape how we talk about love. Um, so if you, have a, if you have a good male friend, it's now a bromance, isn't it? We talk about being smitten with, we, we crush on people, don't we? We are obsessed with and we have feels for 
anything from newborn babies to Haagen-Dazs ice cream. There are other brands. <laughs> and we, want, we don't just want to say we love something, um, we, want to, we want to put our heart and soul into it these days, don't we? So hyperbole and exaggeration um, have come into it. You know, we, we love our new iPhone just as much as, uh, or it sounds that way, just as much as we love a, a close relationship. So we need uh, the Greek language to give us more nuanced uh, words for, for love. Um, so here they are. Eros, romantic love, philia, brotherly, sisterly love, storge, parents, love for a child, and agape, the love of God. Now, not all of these Greek words are in the New Testament. Um, and some occur much more often than others. So philia, in its noun or verb form, that's brotherly, sisterly love, occurs 54 times in the New Testament. Um, Storge and eros do not occur at all in the New Testament, although you'll find forms, obviously, of eros in Song of Songs, if you read that. Um, uh, it comes with, a, comes with a, a warning, if you read Song of Songs. It's pretty, pretty saucy stuff, but you will find a version of eros love uh, there. By far and away, the most um, common type of love recorded in the New Testament is agape love. Uh, recorded 259 times. Um, so Paul uses this word in Romans 5, 8, but God shows his agape love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Um, and some, a, a word scholar has defined agape love in this way. It's an intelligent, purposeful attitude of esteem and devotion, a selfless, purposeful outgoing attitude that desires to do good to the one loved. Um, it has an element of emotion in it. It talks about an attitude of esteem and devotion. That's an emotion, isn't it? Um, it's, it's, it's about affection and devotion. But far more than that, it's an act of the will. It's an intelligent, rational choice to do good to somebody else. So agape love doesn't just feel, it also acts. Um, and this is the sort of love that um, is often read at wedding services in 1 Corinthians 13. This is agape love, so we just uh, re remember this. Agape is patient and kind. Agape does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude, does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Agape bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Agape never ends. And that type of love is for all of us to exercise. I like to put agape up there because it reminds us, this is not just for couples getting married. This passage is for the church. We often... People say, oh, yeah, so my favorite wedding, which it, which it often is. But this is a passage for all of us. We're all to agapeo, to use the verb, one another, to love one another. And it's costly. Look at the sort of love that is practical and intelligent and is a choice to not envy or boast, not arrogant or rude, doesn't insist on its own way. That's really sacrificial. It's really costly act of the will, as well as uh, devotion to one another. And this challenges Christian couples to go way beyond romantic love and philia, 
that's brotherly and sisterly love, to, in Christian marriage, we're to selflessly act on behalf of the other. It's sacrifice. Um, it's to love one another unconditionally. Um, I had the privilege of uh, speaking on this at a, at a wedding on New Year's Eve, and it was great to remind everyone in the church there that actually to love like this is an act of the will as well as just an emotion. It, and actually, for a Christian couple, this can't be done in our own strength. It's not possible to do this kind of agape love without the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the point, isn't it? Which is why Paul sandwiches this passage between the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and talking about the work of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 14. He, he deliberately puts it there because he's bookending the topic in the middle, right? He wants us to see that without the Holy Spirit, you can't do agape love. Um, you can mimic it or do a reflection of it, but you can't do it in the way that God would have you do it and the way that pleases him. Three things about agape love. You won't be surprised at the number three. Agape love must be understood alongside God's holiness. We cannot understand God's love apart from God is holy. Many scholars now are using the phrase holy love, and there's a reason for that. God's love comes out of his holiness. You remember last week we saw that the fundamental, most important attribute of God's character is actually his holiness. Everything else flows from God's holiness. He loves because he is holy. And actually, to love God is to be holy, because to love God is to keep his commands. And to love God and to be holy means that we become more like God, more holy as we keep his commands. But we are not to keep the commands of God and to try to be holy without also loving. Um, you get into trouble that way, don't you? If you try to keep the letter of the law without an attitude and a heart of love, you're going to turn into a very self-righteous, critical, judgmental person. You're going to turn into the Pharisee and the teacher of the law in the passage, aren't you? Who knows all the answers about the Bible and doesn't love. I don't know, I don't know about you, I don't want to be full of knowledge that puffs me up and be known as an unloving Christian. Don't want to do that, do you? And there are people that want to puff themselves up and show you how much they know about God and the Bible who lack compassion and love, like the Pharisee. That's not the sort of person we want to be. We want to be those who, we want to be those of holy love, who are both keeping the commands, but also out of an attitude of love for God and for, for one another. The lawyer was trying to trip Jesus up to get him to give the wrong answer, but Jesus being the spirit-inspired son of God knows the heart of the lawyer and he answers in a way that sums up the entire law, <laughs> summarizes the entire law. Of course, the lawyer knows the answer to his question. He's just trying to trip Jesus up to get him to give the wrong answer. So the lawyer knows that the first commandment of the Ten Commandments is you, you shall have no other gods before me. He doesn't need Jesus to tell him the answer. 
He's trying to trip Jesus up. Um, but he's missed the point. It's not a case of ticking off the Ten Commandments. It's your heart and attitude towards God and others that's important. So the first of the four Ten Commandments are all about loving God. And the Commandments 5 to 10 are about loving others. Look them up yourself. In other words, what's really important is an attitude of love behind these, the heart of love that's behind them. It's not about the spirit of the law. Sorry, it's not about the letter of the law. It's about the heart of love that lies behind the law. All the commands of God hang on love God and love your neighbor. In other words, you can do all the holy things you like. You can speak in tongues. You can do lots of good things for God. But if you don't have love, you are nothing, right? You cannot have holiness without love, and you cannot have love without holiness. The two go together. It is possible to move in spiritual gifts without love. Can I just demonstrate this? 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1 to 3. Here it is. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, you can do lots of good. You can be generous to the poor. You can love people, you can move in spiritual gifts, but you can be nothing because you don't do it out of love. Wow! That's, un that's unsettling, isn't it? Whoa. Don't just seek to be holy, seek to love alongside holiness. Serve others obey god but do it out of love not love of yourself so many people operate in spiritual gifts and serve looking for approval and popularity and fame we have a celebrity culture in christian leadership still and i believe god is dismantling that there are leaders who are falling in our culture, and I believe God would say he wants humble servant leaders centered on Jesus. He doesn't want celebrity leaders who are in it for themselves. And I think God is doing something really significant in these days. He wants his church back. He doesn't want celebrity leaders getting in the way of Jesus. He will remove them rather than have them in the way of his son. Anyway, that's my little bugbear for the day. I don't want to go into names. There's no need to. But you know probably who I'm talking about. If you have anything to do with Christian media at the moment, you know the leaders that have fallen recently. You can be spiritual and operate in gifts, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. And God will bring down the proud. He will bring them down. One mistake that the expert in the law made was to try and be holy without loving God and others as a motivation. 
But the flip side of this, and this is the other mistake the church and the culture makes, is in emphasizing the love of God without also emphasizing God's holiness. In fact, I hear this more, actually. People both within the church today and outside the church can be heard to say, God is a God of love. Yes, he is. God is love, is how the Apostle John describes him. But God is love does not mean that with God anything goes. And I think that's the danger that, our, that our, the church and the culture are in at the moment. That because God is a God of love, we must welcome and include every type of behavior going out there. And that's not what that means. Um, you know, people mis mistake God is love as if we are to tolerate all people's diversity of behaviors and opinions as equal. Now, we are to welcome and love those who we do not disagree with. I agree. But we don't just capitulate to the culture and blend in for fear of treading on people's toes and being unpopular. We're to be holy, separate, set apart, consecrated. We're to live by kingdom standards, not the culture's standards. And that will mean drawing a line in the sand on some ethical issues where we disagree with the culture. God is love does not mean that God does not judge or discipline his people. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that God never sets boundaries of ethical behavior for us. He does. Um, we, we know this from our own experience, don't we? That love is about discipline and boundaries. You know this. Um, I think I've told this story before, but it's worth repeating. Um, I was watching a year nine game when I had a real job as a teacher and uh, the PE teacher literally uh, fell down on the pitch and had to be taken to hospital. He, he um, had, it was a serious uh, condition. And uh, I was the only teacher watching. There were a lot of parents and uh, literally I had to take the whistle and I honestly, I didn't know the rules. I'm, I'm not joking here. I literally didn't know. I knew that if the ball went off, the, they had to throw it in. I played football myself, but I, I don't understand always the offside rule. I don't understand direct and indirect free kicks. I was at my depth. And of course, um, you could say, well, the, the children on the pitch were free now of rules because the referee didn't know what he was doing. He was incompetent. So they, they, they're going to be freer than they've ever been. But were, in fact, they free? Were they freer? Well, no, because pe people were getting fouled. I wasn't giving free kicks when I should have been giving free kicks. There wasn't fairness. There wasn't justice on the pitch. The parents were getting angry because they felt that they weren't getting justice. So were they, in fact, free? No. You have freedom within the rules, within the boundaries of the laws of the game. You can be creative and free and enjoy within the boundaries that have been set. 
And it's the same with God. God sets laws and boundaries for us, not to kill off our fun, but so that we might enjoy him through obedience. He knows better than we do. He knows better than our culture what's good for us. So when are we going to start trusting him and not the culture? He knows. He's our loving dad. He's our parent who disciplines us for our good. He knows better than us. He loves us and he knows what's good for us. So let's stop watering the truth of God's holiness down. Let's stop trying to blend in like chameleons to the culture and start submitting to Father in heaven who knows best. You with me? Good. And then we'll find true freedom as we submit in obedience to the Father who loves us and knows what's good for us. Uh, When we endure hardship or loss, we may sometimes be tempted to question whether God still loves us. But the issue is not a problem with God. It's It's our perception of his love. God is both holy and infinite, which means that all of his actions are loving even when we don't understand them. All of you sitting there have got questions about where you've seen people in your family, friends suffer. And sometimes we doubt and we wobble, don't we? We wonder, does God, where is God in this? Does he still love us? And we cannot always perceive and understand the intricacies and the infinite complexity of the fact that God is at work in ways that we don't understand and cannot comprehend. But he is. He loves us, even when we don't understand what on earth he's doing. The Bible assures us that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Even when we feel abandoned, forsaken, lonely, even when we're confused, bewildered, and overwhelmed with suffering, we can look at the empty cross there, and that speaks to us and says, God loves you. And nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Because God gave up the best thing that he had to save you. Nothing can take away the love of God. Not even death can separate us from God's love. Sometimes we don't feel the love of God. And sometimes all we can do is cling to the cross. And remember that God loves us despite how we feel. Second, agape love needs to be rightly ordered. We get this the wrong way around, don't we? We, 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 we do that school report thing of must try harder. Right? You had those reports? You think, all that work over five years must try harder. Is that it? Yes, that's it. That's not the Christian faith. We love God and we love others because God first loved us in Christ. Don't put the horse before the cart or the cart before the horse, right? Know that God loved you first in Christ and out of his love for you, you can love God and love others. Don't get it the wrong way around. The great commandment to love God and love others is not to gain God's approval. You already have God's approval. He's already sent Jesus to die for you. He's already shown his love for you in the cross. All you're doing is responding to the love of God as you love God and love others. You're not earning his approval or favor. You've already got it. So stop striving for it. You've got it. He loves you. 
And this makes a big difference to how we treat people that we struggle to get on with or struggle to forbear with. And there are people out there. Um, there are different types of love. Some people we're closer to. Some people we have a really deep and intimate friendship with and that our love for them will look different to those that we're thrust together with, but we're still called to love them and to forgive them and to do good to them, and to pray for them. Um, if we start with God's love, it is possible to love those that we wouldn't normally get on with or that we struggle with. There's all sorts of people that I irritate, but that's okay because I believe that God um, loves me and my security is not based on whether everybody loves me or not. Um, I'll do my best to love others, but if I irritate people, hey, God loves me. He'll forgive me. We can love others who we find difficult to love when we remember that God has, has loved us already, that he's chosen to forgive us then we can love and forgive those who hurt us and that we find difficult to love. Third, agape love loves no matter the cost. We can't categorize ultimately people as lovable or unlovable because if love is an act of the will and not motivated by need or worth or whether we like someone, if it doesn't require a return gift of love, we are free to love others with an agape love. It's an act of the will, it's a choice. The cost of agape love is shown in the cross and we are called to take up our cross and follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to love with a costly love. And it will cost us to do agape love. It'll cost us pride, comfort, self-will, self-sufficiency. It'll cost us time, relationship with family, time and energy as we love God and love others. Sometimes we're called to love when it's not convenient or comfortable. Um, in our previous church, um, we hadn't been at the church long when uh, a teenager and his sister were left uh, orphaned and uh, for long term. And we were the, we were the only uh, family in the church at the time and all, all the people were, were elderly, and they weren't able to look after a teenager and uh, his eight-year-old sister. So it fell to us to parent not just a baby and our own toddler, but a teenager and his younger sister. We had no clue what we were doing. We didn't know how to set boundaries for a teenager, and he was quite rebellious. He would be out till early hours of the morning. And I realized that I needed to do some loving discipline. You know, I, it's deep end. So I sat him down. I said, if you're going to live under this roof, you're going to come in and you're going to text us and let us know where you are. You're going to come in by 11. He didn't like it. But he thanked me for it after. We didn't choose that path. But agape love says, take up your cross and follow, whether it's comfortable or convenient. The last thing we wanted, really, was two more children to look after. But sometimes God puts you in a situation where you, that's not convenient, not comfortable, and it's costly and sacrificial to take up your cross and follow. You'd rather it wasn't like that. 
But God doesn't call us to love when it's comfortable or convenient. He calls us to love others when it doesn't suit us. Um, there are days when I fantasize about doing something else, quite honestly, if I'm honest. I'm not serious, by the way. I'm just, this is me putting my heart on my sleeve. I sometimes wonder what it would be like to have a job where I could just go home and forget about the, the carrying, the bearing the responsibility. I do. It's not because I'm ungrateful. It's just I, I, I get weary of carrying the load at times. And I just wonder what it would be like to be stacking shelves, stacking shelves in Tesco and just to go home after a day's work and, and go, it's over. Rather than 24-7 round the clock carrying responsibility. But you know there's nowhere else I'd rather be. It's not convenient. It's not comfortable. It's sacrificial. It's servanthood. But you know what? Because God's called me, this is where I'm supposed to be. And sometimes you look at your circumstances in your family and you go, do you know what? This isn't convenient or comfortable. You might fantasize to God and say, sometimes in your innermost thoughts, I'd rather I was somewhere else doing something else with other people. But this is where God has called you to be. This is where God has called you to exercise sacrificial servanthood and agape love. Not somewhere else, right where you are. And it's costly. But didn't it cost the Son of God his life to go to the cross for you so that you could be saved? So who are we not to love others as God has loved us? Who are we to question God's call to love when it's costly? Now, friends, hear me. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's going to cost you time, energy. You're going to get weary. You're going to get tired. You're going to be exhausted. But do you know what? Being in the center of God's will is the only and best place to be. You can find fulfillment, meaning, joy right where you are if you believe that that's where God has called you to be. If you're always fantasizing about being somewhere else, you're going to be dissatisfied and unhappy. Start loving where you are with all its problems and difficulties and struggles and frustrations. God will meet you there. Do you believe that? It's where God's called you to love. Live it out. Love where you are. We have a culture that tells us you can live your best life for yourself. It's a lie. We were never made to live for ourselves. We were made to sacrifice and love God and love one another. That's how you find fulfillment, meaning, purpose. Don't believe the therapeutic nonsense that's out there about Find your true self by doing your own thing in your own way. There are preachers who preach this nonsense. That's not, that's not love. That's just self-centeredness, self-fulfillment, self-help, nonsense. It's heresy. We find true freedom, true joy, true contentment, true happiness when we lay down our own concerns and take up our cross and love others as Jesus has loved us. But it's hard. I'm not here to say it's easy to do. Only with the power 
and resourcing and energy of the Holy Spirit can you love in this sort of way? There's no other way of doing it. We all need that, don't we? If you're going to take up your cross and follow, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to resource you, fuel you, energize you, and give you the resources of God's love when you don't feel like it, when you've had enough, when you want out. God will fill you again. Let's stand in the presence of God. Mark uh, mentioned Ephesians 3, the prayer of Paul. And uh, I want to pray this prayer over all of us, actually. It's about, it's asking God to fill us with more of his love. And I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would do that this morning, because I certainly need more love. I don't know about you. I don't have enough love for the demands that are on me. I don't have enough love for the cost of sacrifice. I need more of this love. So let me pray Paul's prayer over myself and you all. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with all the fullness of the love of God, so that we might take up our cross and love our God and love our neighbour as you love us. Help us, fill us afresh, Holy Spirit, to agapeo you and one another. In Jesus' name, amen.